0: Good morning. morning. Great to see you. really is. And it's great to be able to open up our Bibles where we're going to be at in Mark 3 today. Around verse 13 through 19. And uh, we're at a point where Jesus had really come to a very, very important part of His ministry. Uh, We already know that He's been doing great healings Miraculous healings. He has been preaching the gospel, the good news, really that's about him. And he had made some kind of uh, considerable impact on all the people, right? Remember uh, last week we were talking about there were literally just thousands everywhere coming from all over Israel and even outside of Israel, Tyre and Sidon. Now, um, there are two things. That are very important for him to do because he just cannot continue to do on, uh, on his own. Uh, he has uh, a plan that he's going to carry out. He's going to have to die on the cross. He's going to have to be buried and then he's going to rise again and then he's going to ascend to heaven. There's going to have to be something happening here while he is gone there. And of course, we know that that will happen. But he has to make this message permanent. Aren't you glad that it just wasn't for that time period and then that was it, right? This has to be permanent right on uh, through the eternal ages, really. Uh, you can imagine. Our time needs Him so bad. So how could He keep this message that is so important? It's the most important message. There's no more important message than the gospel, right? Nothing. Nothing. How can He keep this thing going to the end of the age and, and uh, not stop after He dies? And then second, he's going to have to disseminate this message. It's going to have to be distributed out everywhere to all over the globe. And, of course, at that time, there are no newspapers. There are no printed books like we know of today in in our sense of being able to get it out that way. There's no Internet news, right? And no satellite TV, no radio, nothing like that. How are you going to get this out where everybody can know even 2,000 years from there? I mean, that's incredible. That's something like that that makes an impact on people's lives and their hearts, you know, and totally make changes. Well, he has to choose humans. He has to choose certain men that uh, will be able to take that gospel out with power and make an impact on it. He's relying on human beings to continue that to go. Even after they die, then other human beings are going to have to continue on and it's done that all the way up to our time. Imagine that. I, I can't think of anything else being able to do like that to make hearts and lives change. So, he could write his message. He was not a writer of books, although he is the book of books, right? But... He doesn't write it in that way, but he writes it on the hearts of these men he's going to choose, and they're going to carry this message abroad. So, in our text today, this is what we're going to look at. I think it's rather phenomenal. It's only the power of God that this could happen. So, he knows he's going to die, and he knows that he will resurrect, he knows he's going to ascend to heaven, yet there is something that he has to do in order to get it going and he's going to do men just ordinary men. Now that's even better, isn't it? Not the religious elite that have all the different outfits on where people will know that they're religious but he uses people that are just as ordinary as can be. Nothing special about them whatsoever. That's who he chooses. He does everything opposite the way that humans would do, right? I mean, if if if, a, if he were a CEO, he would not have come into the world the way that he did, if he could choose that, and live the way that he did, and then choose these men that he's going to choose to continue on the most important message ever in the history of mankind. <laughs> would you have chosen that that way? I must admit, I would not have done that. But these guys, in the book of Acts, it is said that they turned the world upside down, right? Right? So he so he turns the world upside down with common, ordinary men. And I think that's why this is good news to us. This is encouraging to us because we're just ordinary people, aren't we? At best, we're ordinary. All right? But we can identify with these apostles. I mean, we can so identify with some of these apostles. You can say, yeah, that's just like me, or that's just like him, you know? Common people, common. And he exposes their lives in front of everybody, Right? I mean, we can read about it today and, and get the idea of what their personalities are about, at least some of them. We see their weaknesses. We see their shortcomings. Man, do we see their sin, right? Right in front of everybody. And Jesus allows that. Matter of fact, He wants people to see the things where they just failed. They did incredible things. But there's an awesome purpose in all of this. What a grand scheme that God has. So we're just like them. Uh, They're no different. They're human beings. They represented Christ here on earth as they're the ones that have the message. And we do the same thing. We represent Christ here on earth because we are called ambassadors. We represent the king of the universe here on this sinful earth to sinful people and we're sinful but yet we have been changed. We have this message. And thanks... The Lord, uh, thanks to the Lord that uh, it started with Christ and these men were faithful in carrying it out. So let us be encouraged today to see that plan that God has in carrying out this good news using ordinary people just like all of us, ordinary people. God is using all throughout the world and He's using ordinary people in extraordinary ways. Unbelievable. So let's get to the text. That's the best part, isn't it? Mark 3, and we start at verse 13. Let's read that text. And he went up on the mountain and summoned those who he himself wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve so that they would be with him and that he could send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out the demons. And he appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave him the name Peter, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James. To them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder, and Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him? So here we go. We have Jesus surrounding himself now with these ordinary men that we're all very familiar with, and some of them we're not. We don't know much about it all. As a matter of fact, you have to read between the lines on some of them. But some of them were very familiar. Now, what he does is that what we're going to look at first. First thing that Jesus does here is that he prays. Jesus prays. I think that's the best thing that you can possibly do, isn't it? The way Jesus coped with pressure, and we were talking about this last week, looking at Jesus as he had pressure, right? He had the crowd just all around him. He even had to go out into the boat, out into the water to get away from the crowd that was pressing in on him. Otherwise, he gets trampled, stepped on, you know, he could die. So he has to get into the boat. So he coped with that. And so now we see him dealing with the sense of going to the Father. And he has to go in prayer. Isn't that the best thing that we can do? Right? That's what he does. He gets alone with the Father. How often do you see this? All the time. Gets in an isolated place. Gets with the Father. And he prays. And this is where Jesus finds his strength. Jesus finds his rest. Jesus finds the very will of God. And you can say, Jesus is God. Doesn't he know all that? Why does he have to pray? Because he has a perfect union communion with the Father, doesn't he? And I think it's a great example for us, but he always has been in union with the Father and the Holy Spirit, of course. So that's that's what happens. So our text in Mark here does not say that. You can say, well, what do you mean prayer? What are you talking about Jesus praying? It says he went up on the mountain, then he summoned those. Well, remember, Mark wants to get to things really quick. Because God only allowed him 16
1: chapters.
0: (laughs) Immediately, right? He gets right to the point. Because he knows somebody else is going to come along and pick up the rest of the story that fills it in. And so Luke does that in uh, chapter 6, verse 12. And we see what Jesus does as far as praying. It was at this time right after healing on the Sabbath remember that's where we left it last week that he went off to the mountain to pray and he spent the whole night in prayer we're not talking 15 or 20 minutes sometimes that can seem like a long time when you're praying and not just an hour or two hours he spent the whole night in prayer I think this is rather important wouldn't you think? We are at a very important time in Jesus' ministry. So that's why this text is really key. And it's really key to us. It's really encouraging to us. So he prays all night. I think that's a secret to coping, isn't it? You have pressure on you? What do you do? Well, you go in prayer. There are times whenever I can't sleep. <laughs> you know, I'd like to sleep, but can't sleep. So guess what I do? I start praying. A lot of times that will make me go to sleep. <laughs> and I don't want to sleep. Hey, i got a prayer going on. But, uh, and then sometimes I just don't go to sleep, and so I just keep praying. Until I run out of things to pray, and then I start thinking some things I've prayed already. <laughs> go back over it. There are plenty of things to be thinking about, but when you're sleepy though, you know, you can't think of too many things, but you still pray, right? But it's a good time to pray sometimes, and most often when you're not sleeping or trying to go to sleep. Before he makes a huge decision, in choosing these twelve apostles, He needs wisdom. He needs guidance from the Father. Can you uh, identify with that? Uh, imagine everyone here, when you've had a big decision or something to, that you're going to be doing and you're not so sure what to do, you seek that wisdom. You, you want His will, right? And so that's what Jesus is doing. So we look at this example and we realize when one is heavy laden and they have all these pressures on them, they need to go directly to the Father and bring it all to Him, bring all that strain and stress, just dump it in his lap. He says, yeah, that's what I wanted you to do in the first place. <laughs> Instead of fretting and worrying, had all that anxiety, he says, Here what I want you to do. Just come to me, bring it to me, and leave it there, right? So this is the way to get rid of the strain and stress. And we keep coming to the Lord, we have burdens, and we want to unburden ourselves And what do we get? We get grace. We get mercy, right? And all of a sudden, we start experiencing something that we didn't have before. In Philippians 4, it says, we are to be anxious for nothing, pray about everything, and be thankful for anything. But the way we relieve our stresses and anxieties so much really is to be through prayer, isn't it? I think there's a great example in in seeing what Jesus did. If Jesus did it, we certainly need to be praying, right? So, he prays, and then Mark gets right to the point. He summoned those who himself wanted. And they came to him. I mean, he gets what he wants. (laughs) Another way that Jesus deals with pressure, besides prayer, I'll use a rhyming word here. Is to share. (laughs) He has prayer, and then he he what does he share? Well, he's going to share this ministry. He's going to share the gospel. He's going to share this message with them, and he has been doing it. But now he's going to share a ministry. Jesus could have done it all himself. He doesn't really need people. He doesn't need me and you, does he? He really doesn't. But isn't it amazing that he decides to use us in his great plan of the ages? And why would he do that? We well, take takes great pleasure in it. He wants to use ordinary people to share in the ministry. Um, I think you see a sovereign purpose of God here. I'm not trying to read in the text. It's right here. He summoned those whom He Himself wanted. Remember, He has a lot of disciples around Him. Disciples means learners. They're not apostles yet. And now we're getting to the apostle, that office that is so important now that they're always going to be with Him from here on out. So He summons them to Him. Now There are going to be a lot of other people that are disciples too, that they go almost everywhere that He goes to. But they're not part of the twelve but they they are important people as they're going along with this very much. Um, He calls whom he wants. A lot of people around there that would love to have been in the same position, but he calls 12. That's who he wants. Do you see any volunteers here? Okay, who wants to be one of my apostles? I need 12 of you out there, right? Do you see that, you know, people raising their hands and, you know, coming, walking up? There's probably aisles through there. No, he doesn't do that. He says, you, you, you. Remember, he's already called like Matthew and Peter and James and John. Remember those guys? But that was just to, to, to be following him. He knows what he's going to do later. But now this is the time where is the calling of the uh, the apostles so no volunteers it's whom jesus called and this is interesting everyone whom he calls are going to follow i'm i'm sure he's thinking oh if i call them i don't know if you want to give up everything to follow me everywhere i just wonder what'll happen well let's let's just try it and see <laughs> and if he doesn't then i'll get another guy right Uh, No, no. The very ones that He summons, they all came to Him. You know what we call that in the uh, Reformation theology circles? The irresistible call. Irresistible. It's effectual. Hey, that's a pretty good term. Do you like that? It's effective. Anything that He wants, He will make happen. That means they will follow Him. But they will do it joyfully. It's not like, oh, man, I really don't want to do this. He made me. There's something here. (laughs) Right? No, he, He caused it to happen. He didn't choose them because of their faith. For we know they faltered in their faith much throughout the ministry, didn't they? He didn't choose them because of their talent and abilities. All that the Father wanted. All that the Father gives to the Son will come to Him. Right? So they felt this magnetic attraction to Jesus. They'd already met Him and been following around, but now it's something that they're making a a commitment that really the Lord is making for them. (laughs) There was just something about Him. Something about that name. (laughs) Something about Him that they would go to their Master and we, we have to go to John 6. And then there's another passage too. I just kind of said that earlier. but In John 6, verse 37, All that the Father gives me, this is Jesus speaking, will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. Of course not. That's his will right? And of course, you have your verse forty four Have to read that, don't we? No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. I'll raise him up on the last day. There's a guarantee this is a guaranteed deal, so the father has the ones, gives them to the son he's- they're called to the son they're drawn to him they are irresistible, called. <laughs> Irresistibly called. Effectual, right? So what an attraction that was given to them. Now that's incredible. Just that one verse. We could just stop right there and just be in awe and say, hey, that's it. We could be thinking about that all day. That's just unbelievable. But there are more verses and so we'll, we'll keep going. Verse 14 and 15. There's a purpose in this call. And it says it right here. Right here, verse 14. And he appointed twelve. He chose those twelve. We already kind of talked about that. Why? Well, when you see so that, it's a reason, right? And there are three reasons. It's right here. I've got it outlined. You'll see it on that up there. Purpose of the call. You see them. A under 2 then B, then C, but it's right there in Scripture. And usually when you see outlines, the outlines are right there in Scripture. But you can interpret them a different way, but but it really helps. So that they would be with Him. And when we read this originally, I stopped at each one. First of all, so that they would be with Him. And then what? So that He could send them out to preach. And also, a third purpose is to have authority given authority from Christ they are, to cast out the demons. So, there are the three purposes of the call. The first one is so that they be with Him. I think we can take quite a spiritual lesson in this, can't we? So that they would be with Him. That's communion, isn't it? Close communion. Fellowship. That's what God desires. He's the one that's desiring us to seek Him out, to to, to to talk with Him, to pray. He wants that more than we do. We know we need it all the time, right? By the way, what was uh, that song that uh, Zach finished with? My Lord is near me all the time. And if you are His, He's always there. That's a great line, isn't it? I mean, that's a sermon in itself. You can walk out of here and just be thinking, that's so simple. Yeah, but isn't it profound? That means through some of the worst times. He's right here. Through some of the best times. Through the normal times. average, He's there. (laughs) My Lord is with me all the time. So, that's a good thing. And it's so that uh, they can watch Him. They can learn from Him as He speaks. All that He does. They were to study Him. You know, we, we study Scripture. Well, they had, you know... They had Old Testament uh, scrolls. you know. They, they had learned from synagogue and such. Now they have, they have written on them and in their hearts the very words of Christ. <laughs> and he quotes from the Old Testament and such. I mean, he's living right in. The Word of God is with them. I mean, literally, everywhere He walks, they walk. That's the Word of God is living, right? And and they're living with Him. So, I'm sure that they learned as they walked in His steps. And so, you know, Jesus really wants us to know that that He's there with Him. He wants us to be talking with Him. That's certainly one of the purposes of being a disciple, isn't it? I think that's a grand purpose. (laughs) Communion with Him. And the next one, oh boy, is this ever easy? So, could he, so that he could send them out to preach. Preach what? You mean they want him? Make up to something? How about a lot of jokes? He could do a lot of jokes and humor and really get the crowds around now, couldn't they? Now, that's the gospel. It's the message that Jesus has been preaching. It was the message that John the Baptist had preached. And uh, so they're going to take the baton from him. He passes it on and they'll continue on with the same message that he had. Same message. So they were being trained to carry out this message for like three and a half years. What a training. What a seminary that had to have been to actually see this happening. You're living it. Not in some hothouse seminary. You're out there with him doing it. He is the seminary, isn't it? Learn from me, Jesus says, right? Now, that's, that's the education. He can permanently keep this message as they are with him, and this message ultimately is going to spread across the globe. Jesus knows exactly what he's doing with these men. And so it's left to these disciples to propagate the gospel. They heard him preach every day. They learned how to do it. And it really wasn't until after the resurrection and the ascension that they were really powerful in that it would really touch lives, their own lives. Before they were learning some things, but whenever the Holy Spirit, as it says in Acts 1, and then of course we see it happening in Acts 2, Jesus had promised that Holy Spirit. There's the power. That's how they were able to take a message and then it to penetrate hearts. And 3,000 were converted, 2,000, 4,000, here and there, all over the place. Thousands of people were being converted, being changed by the very power of God because of this message of the gospel. That's why we say there is no more important message ever in the history of mankind ever have been, is, ever will be. And you can say it without a doubt. There's a lot of things that you can't really say, well, without a doubt, this is the way it is, right? Because there's always something else. You know, This could be... No, this is not a could be. It is. There's nothing more important than this to be gotten out. Yeah. We hear a lot of news. and the last week, we heard about the news of the... Of course, the you know, the marathon bomber and how that all went. And you probably got more news than what you really needed to hear. But uh, the fact of the matter is is that, yeah, there's some messages that it's interesting to hear, sometimes we really need to hear. but this is it. I mean, if nobody heard anything else, I mean, this is what it's about. This is dealing with eternity. So they heard him preach every day, they learned how to do it, then they were given the power. And man, did you see Peter preach in an effective way that he had never done before? So we must exalt the preaching of the Word of God. That is what is lifted up here. That is what it's all about. What we're, uh, What we're doing when we start out and we start worshiping is realizing we're in the presence of God. Music helps us out. Prayer, reading of the Word and such. But the preaching of the Word is the focal point of the day. Not because of me. I'm not trying to exalt myself. I'm just saying the preaching of this Word is what's most important. This is the... Biggest part of the meal. (laughs) This is what we need. It's the most important element in the time of worship. J.C. Ryle said this. J.C. Ryle goes back to the 1800s. If the minister does not preach the word, he is a lampless lighthouse, a silent trumpeter, a sleeping watchman, a painted fire j c. Ryle, the preaching of the Word. this is what it's about. Go to First Corinthians chapter one, verse seventeen. This is the most important part of not only worship, but I think it's the most important part of our week as we gather together, we hear it through preaching on the radio and the internet and all those those are really good, but when we come together. And we worship together and then hear it. There is something that is even more powerful than just sitting in our home taking stuff in i 'm telling you that 's a great thing, but there 's something about when god 's people come together you can 't replace that 's what he designed. He made it that way first corinthians one seventeen for Christ did not send me to baptize this is Paul, but to what to preach the gospel. Now, he wasn't one of the original twelve. He's caught this too. Oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. To preach the gospel. To proclaim it. Not in cleverness of speech so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. Empty. He says the preaching is all about the cross. And then he goes on and He says in verse 18, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. The people are out there dying, and unless the Spirit of God and the Word of God is working on them, they're perishing, they're dying, they're going to be going to hell. And it's foolishness to them. It's absolute useless. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the what? Power of God. What's the word there? Dunamis dynamite, and that's the power of God that will sweep people off their feet. (laughs) It will change their lives. It's not the dynamite power that will kill you. Uh, you It may slay you because of the law, but it will bring you new life, won't it, and convert you spiritually. That's incredible. Well, Jesus gave them the message, and He gave them something to say. Every person, whenever they have a message, it has to be something worth hearing, doesn't it? It was worth hearing well, there's another thing that Mark talks about here that Jesus had important as a as a purpose to have authority to cast out the demons. authority not only were the disciples to be close to Christ and also preaching the message, but he was going to give them authority or a power it's delegated authority. I means he delegates this mighty power that he has been doing as he's been healing literally thousands and thousands of people all over Israel. Galilee and Judea and wherever he went. Remember? And he's going to distribute that to these twelve. Huh. Man, that's amazing, isn't it? So as he gets that to them, they will be able to do... Remember when he said you'll be able to do greater things? Well, more fantastic miracles? Not that they're going to be more fantastic. They're going to be like what he was doing, but they're going to be able to distribute it out, go to different parts of the world that he couldn't. He said whenever he came, I come to the lost house of Israel. That's basically where he came to do his preaching. But they're going to take it out. In other places. So he couldn't do that. He was, even though he's God, whenever he was in his human body, he could only be at one place at one time, right? Although God can be anywhere at any time, right? But at this time, he is limiting himself in being in that human body. So, all throughout the ministry, all that he had been doing with that force of evil that had penetrated all throughout Israel and so many people. Demonic possession was dominant in Israel. It was horrible. I don't know if we can ever think of a time that was worse than that. I know you can uh, name some countries today. Uh, Haiti is a place I've heard where demonic possession and the forces of evil are incredible there. You can go into places in Africa. The dark places... And so that would be pretty uh, representative of what was happening at Israel at that time. He was constantly casting out demons. Everywhere he went, he continued to do that. And now he's going to multiply his presence and authority by these 12. And then the 70, as he will also appoint others to go out two by twos, right? Wow. Wow. J.C. Ryle said, A faithful minister must oppose every work of the devil. I want to tell you, sometimes it may not seem like it, but we are opposed. If we're doing anything for the glory of God, I can guarantee you the enemy does not want that to happen. And if we're making any kind of impact at all, and if God's working in you, you are, then I will tell you, you will have opposition. This church, as a whole, will have opposition down through the history, down through the many years that we've been around. At least comparatively, you know, to you know, how long we've lived. It's not compared to two thousand years or whatever, but in, in that time the church has been here, it's had some counterings with the enemy in different ways, whether it be false teaching or whether it be. Um, Strife that comes up in the church hasn't happened often but it has happened if if you're a church you're going to have that you're going to have some things that uh, where there is division and uh, God forbid that we have that we want to be praying that we don't but the enemy wants that he wants to divide this church watch out on all the many different things that can come up and realize where that is coming from if you're thinking different things that uh, uh, doesn't seem to uh, cause unity right That is, of course, what he wanted to, the enemy wanted to do with these apostles. As they, at the time of Jesus' death, what did he do? I mean, he, um, Jesus already told Peter what? He's gonna come in and sift you like wheat. You know what? I'm gonna let him do it. (laughs) Jesus didn't say, I'm gonna keep him from that. I'm gonna have him, yeah, he can do it. That's really what it amounted to. But after it's all said and done, of course, Jesus came back to him, and he was restored. And he he realized how powerful the enemy was. And later on, Peter writes in First Peter that he's a roaring lion who seeks some to devour. <laughs> he wants to
1: destroy.
0: Peter knew about that, but he wasn't destroyed. And if you are the Lord, you will not be destroyed. But he can sure do a number on you. And there are some in here I can. You, you could ask questions. To, and they can say He certainly has. But all of us have had some kind of uh, battle. We are to withstand Him. Stand firm, Ephesians 6 says, right? We don't have the power the disciples had where we can go in and cast out demons at any time we want and go down to Haiti and go to Africa or, my goodness, probably somewhere around here. You probably go on the street and start delivering people. There are people that will say they have deliverance ministries but uh, really did they have this kind of deliverance where we're talking about where demons are actually coming out of people? Um, I'm I'm talking, they did the same thing that Jesus did in a powerful way. And it is a power that that God can do that, but uh, uh, as He works through them, I I think of, uh, and we'll turn to that in a little bit, but that's one of the signs of the apostles. There are no apostles today. I want to make that very clear. Because the apostles are the foundation. Um, and again, I need to get to that in, in a moment, and I will. Um, but hang on with that. Okay, the appointment. He appoints them in John fifteen sixteen. We have not gone to that yet. You're probably wondering, when we going to John fifteen sixteen. 16? What is that? What is that? What is it? You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, He may give to you. Whatever you do in my name, in my authority, in my power, whatever you do in my will, you will get it done. This is going to happen. You will bear fruit. He appoints them. Not that they can go out there and, hey, maybe they can get and miss here and there. No, it's that they would bear fruit. And they are going to bear fruit. Not only are they going to answer His call, but they're going to go out and do it. If you're a Christian, you do have fruit. He said, I sure don't see any. Well, it's there if you're a Christian. Some have 20-fold, some have 40, some 60, some 80, some 100. You will have fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Do you have any of those? You say, no, I don't think I do. (laughs) Well, sometimes we don't feel like it, But if you are a Christian, you do have those. The only thing is, they need to um, develop. Uh, We're in the spring right now, and it seems like at this time of the year, we were way ahead last year. At this time this year, it seems like we're a month behind. (laughs) It seems like everything's coming out really late. Or you're wondering, is it going to come out? I'm seeing flowers, you know. I'm starting to see some trees like that. But, well, it will, I think. <laughs> Keep holding on, right? But the fruit will be there if you are of that vine. I am the vine, you are the branches, right? In John 15. So, And, and it's God who is doing that. But as we yield to Him, the more fruit that will be brought forth though so that's where it is up to us to be obedient so that fruit would show that we can see it and so that others would see it right? and that's all for the glory of God not ours okay now it's twelve no it's not it's eleven twenty I'm sorry okay the twelve the twelve he appointed twelve. Twelve is an interesting number because in Scripture, you frequently will see 12. Um, turn to Matthew 19.28. I'm not going to do an Alistair bag on that one because I immediately could have uh, done a song that goes back to the 60s from the Beatles and said a quote there. And some of you might have just caught what that is and I'm not going to say it because I've already taken my time up for trying to be funny and not funny. (laughs) And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that you who have followed Me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you all shall sit upon what twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So you have the 12 apostles. And of course, one of them is going to be gone and they'll have to be replaced, but you have that 12. Uh, But 12 apostles sitting on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. 12 is pretty important. 12 uh, deals with governing institutions or government perfection. 12 thrones of judgment. How about in Revelation, 12 pearly gates for the 12 apostles, the 12 foundations, the 12 12 fruits, that one tree that represents all the, the, the fruit. So 12 is really a pretty important number. 12 apostles. What's an apostle mean? Well, apostale, which means to send forth. Now, there is a clothing store that has something like that. It's real close. Every time I see that shirt, I I think of the Apostles apostale. And I know that word that they have, I'm not going to advertise, but at the same time, I know it looks really close. And uh, it, it is in some sense, but the oppo means away, to send away from, to send out. That's what the apostles were, to be sent forth as ambassadors. That's really what they are. They're representing the king of kings of all the universe and everywhere they go, they are representing him. They are not him, but they're representing him. And as you, as disciples, are ambassadors representing him. So we're little apostles, but we're not the apostles. Why Why isn't that? Why can't we have apostles today, Dennis? There are people that are going around saying they're apostles. And right around here, probably not too far from here, there are little, little churches. They meet in homes, little buildings like what we have. And they say that's what they do. They have apostles in their church. But I challenge that. I challenge what Paul says, with what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. We've just seen the apostles, what their names are. And it says, Paul says, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, the foundation. What's a foundation? That's what you build upon. Who wrote the New Testament? Basically, apostles. There was Mark, but he was underneath Peter. There was Luke, but he traveled with Paul and knew the other apostles. So, really, we have, and prophets. And of course, in the Old Testament, you have prophets and such. That's what our Word of God is built upon. If we have people going around saying they're apostles today, and they say, well, the Lord told me, you know what? We need to add pages to our Revelation chapter 22, and say, okay, now what was that again? Okay, I've got to get that down, put that in here, because they're claiming to be equal, and they will. They'll say they are equal with Peter, James, and John in that office. They're humans. But that office has been closed out. We don't have an ongoing Word of God. If we do, we're not completed here. We don't have the completed Word of God. That scares me. We have it. There is nothing else that needs to be revealed to us until Christ comes back. And then we'll have another full revelation. But we're sitting here today, we have everything here that God has ever revealed to the church that we need. We have more revealed than the Old Testament saints. I think it's incredible we have more than enough we don't need more revelation we're having trouble enough to know what has been revealed in
1: here <laughs>
0: do, you, do you get that? Yeah. but are people that are telling you otherwise and I say challenge that there's your foundation if we have other apostles that are equal with them we are in trouble we have to gather that information and put it in there there's, if they're saying any prophecy at all what they're really saying is the same thing that's in here and it's nothing new what are you telling me? But if they say something else. Check them out. Check them out with the Word of God. I've heard prophecies such as Christ was going to be coming back in 1999, <laughs> and that AIDS was going to be um, uh, any people with AIDS was going to, either they was going to be judged or was going to be uh, completely um, taken out. You never hear of it again. Certain, you know, they go one on one on one after another after another after another, after another. and they're from apostles. They're from prophets that are equal to the ones who gave us the word of God just challenge it folks because it's not it's not true what's the signs of an apostle look in 2nd Corinthians chapter 12 we we don't take somebody's word for it we have to challenge it the signs of a true apostle why does Paul say true There were false apostles going around. At that time, already people were claiming to be apostles. He said, okay, I'm going to tell you what a true apostle is. They were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. And that's what they do. They had that power. They had that authority to be able to do the things that Christ did. And do it when they wanted when it was God's will and so therefore that's uh, really important to know Um, when you have a foundation you don't need another foundation you have the building that's going up that's what we are we're the building and we have everything revealed do you see why I attack that because that is what has made the church very weak today. Rather than having a high view of God, they don't really teach doctrine. They don't teach like verse by verse explaining what it is. They teach by experiences and things that they heard. This is what God told me. And He tells you that you are to get married to that person across the street. Yes, they're an unbeliever, but that's what He told me to tell you. Now, what do you do with that, right? Okay. the four lists they're in Matthew 10 they're in Mark 3 they're, and Luke did two of them in Luke 6 and in Acts 1 as he wrote Acts so as we're reading them they really look the same but sometimes you'll see a different name you can say oh, oh look at that that's a name that's different than what's listed over here in, in Mark what do we do with this? Uh, Mark and Matthew, they have the name Thaddeus in their list. Luke has his list, Luke and and an Acts. and he has the name Judas of James. Now, what do you do with that? Well, maybe he changed his name to Thaddeus because he has the name Judas in there also, Judas of James. He didn't want to be mistaken. That's a possibility. Just reading into it, maybe a little bit. I don't think he wants to be associated with it a traitor, right? Uh, Three groups of four each. That's enough. The design here is really really kind of interesting. Look at it. Begin with Simon. Every list will have Simon right at the top, right at first. Peter's name always heads the first group and he heads up all the disciples, the full list. They are also given in twos. Often you'll see two. I think that's kind of interesting to note. Not only are they grouped in three groups of four each, but you have Peter and Andrew, James and John, so on and so forth, right? That, that's what you'll see through, throughout uh, our text here. It reflects the fact that I think Jesus sent the twelve two-by-two two to serve the Lord, and then of course the seventy two-by-twos. And when you look in detail of Scripture, it's just really enlightening and you see those kind of things and it shows that God's word is ordered and when you study that and really look for that you start drawing out gold diamonds jewels are in the scripture and you see how he orders things it's not just by hit and miss and he throws a thing here and there and all this is kind of a neat thing to show him you know, everything is ordered exactly the way that he wants so there's a reason for our attention that we, uh, we bring it to now we go to the servants servants the servant is Christ right and he has servants that's 16 through 19 uh, of Mark and uh, actually when we look at that we we see these names first thing I want to get on to is young these servants servants are young have you thought about that I knew that they were kind of young, but I hadn't really given it that much thought until this week. There's a guy by the name of James Stewart. James E. Stewart. He comments on this. I'll read a sentence or two. Christianity began as a young people's movement. Unfortunately, it is a fact which Christian art and Christian preaching have too often obscured, but it is quite certain that the original disciple band was a young men's group. Most of the apostles were probably still in their 20s when they went out after Jesus. And he also pointed out in his commentary that the hymn that we are so familiar with, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, Isaac Watts, the original version went like this. I didn't know this. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the young prince of glory died. Had you ever heard of that? That was in the original. Isaac Watts. The young prince of glory died. Jesus was young, wasn't he? You think about people who are around 28, 29, 30. Jesus started his ministry at 30. Most of these apostles are going to probably be that age, maybe younger, probably in their 20s. And I start thinking of our young guys. And man, you guys are really, really important. Very important. Because we're counting on what you are learning here and how you serve here in taking that out and continuing on because there are quite a few of us that may may not be around here forever. (laughs) And we need this kind of thing going on. And we need more young people. Stuart goes on to say about this, young people, no one has ever understood the heart of youth and its gaiety and gallantry and generosity and hope. Its sudden loneliness and haunting dreams and hidden conflicts and strong temptations. No one has understood it nearly so well as Jesus. All sorts of thoughts go through young people's mind. They, you know, they don't know what's coming up next, but you know they're rather daring, but there's all sorts of different things that can come along. No one ever more realized, Stewart says, more clearly than Jesus did that the adolescent years of life when strange, dormant thoughts are stirring and the whole whole world begins to unfold are God's best chance with the soul. Older people do come to Christ. God makes sure that happens. And many are here. That happened too. (laughs) <laughs> and I don't know what you can term old, but later in life. There some who have known the Lord for a long time as, as young people. Most of us here was maybe a little bit older than, than others maybe. I think it's quite a remark that he said. I, I think it's wonderful to know. If you're a young person, that Jesus understands everything that you're dealing with. That you're going through the job that you work, or the job that you're thinking that you're, you're. What am I supposed to do after, uh, after this? Or uh, what has God got planned for me in my life? I'm, look, you know, I'm really young. What does He have? He got a lot of a band of young people that surrounded Him that changed the whole world. We don't think that. We think all these guys were in their 40s, 50s, 60s. You know, when they're, you know,
1: uh,
0: (laughs) later on, you get a guy like Paul. I would think tends to be a little bit older. God uses those guys sometimes. <laughs> but the reason why he called young men is that they were teachable. They're moldable. They're clay that hasn't been so hardened yet as they go through life. And they're
1: receptive.
0: Other people can be receptive and, and teachable too, but This is a sense, and I say this in a human sense, it's God's best chance with the soul is when it's young. Now, I'm careful when I say that and you understand what I'm talking about because he can do it at any time. I've already qualified that. But how moldable are they at that time, that piece of clay, just like children. And remember what Jesus said about children. Like the young people. Man, you guys are important. And we thank the Lord for you. Man, I pray all the time about you guys. And you got you got a great ministry ahead of you. You got everything ahead of you in a time that uh, <laughs> the world's going to need you. Okay, so they're young, right? I think we would safely say that. That's a plus. Well, the next one sounds like a strike, but it's not ordinary. <laughs> This is ordinary people. Why would Jesus pick these ordinary guys? And the thing is, the art that you see, what do you see around the apostles? Or Jesus? Halos? <laughs> people have this crazy interpretations you know, down through the years and all these traditions that come up. We're talking about these guys really, you know, okay, you know, they've got a lot of imperfections. Twelve men, imperfections. We know that Peter gave information to Mark. Mark was very young, especially when he first started uh, following along with Paul and um, Barnabas, right? Uh, But he he wrote the gospel and and of course Peter gave him a lot. Uh, These men kept falling, failing, letting the Lord down. Mark doesn't do this to belittle the twelve, to make them look bad. He's inspired by the Holy Spirit. But what he's doing is he's making the grace of God an awesome wonder. Because he's taking these guys. This is the wonder of the gospel, isn't it? That he takes somebody that is really not important. And they give out the most important message ever in the world. Look in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26. Oh, you've got to like this. You have to identify with this. First Corinthians one twenty six. For uh, consider your calling. Your calling. They had a calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, while well, they were in these bodies. Not many mighty. Not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, quote wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, all those great leaders that are up there, and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that He may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God men who are natural, perfect leaders, well, of course he would be a great leader in Christianity because look at the great talents that he has. Well, he's more deserving than other people. No, no, no. He doesn't usually use those. He does, but not usually. Have you noticed that? He usually uses people that most people don't know. They have relatives, they have friends, and the rest in the church. But as far as the world is concerned... Who are you, man? This is who we are, Second Corinthians chapter four, verse seven. But we have this treasure. it's a treasure in earthen vessels. Why? why? So that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. That's why he doesn't need great talents and abilities. Some of the greatest talents and abilities are from people who are lost. And you're amazed by the artwork that they do. We're amazed by the talent they have in music and in movies. Man, I mean, these guys are tremendous. And you know what? Most of them aren't Christians. Some are. But most of them aren't. That's because he wants to show off his power Otherwise, people are going to say, oh, well, it's because look at the talent that He has. or does that talent come from anyway? Well, it's all about the glory of God, isn't it? Ordinary men. Can you identify with that? Yeah, we all can. These disciples are not supermen. They're not superwomen. They're only sinners saved by grace. All the warts and all. <laughs> men and women like you. Weaknesses. Struggles. Temptations. Sins. It isn't a coincidence that the Holy Spirit doesn't put things in here to fill the story out that these men had nicknames. Some of them have nicknames. Well, we know about Peter. What was his name before? Simon. Jesus says, Simon. I'm going to call you rock. (laughs) At that time, he was not a rock. Wavering. You're the rock. You're stone. James and John, want to call the lightning from the sky and strike those people down? (laughs) You sons of thunder. What power! (laughs) You know, powerful sons of thunder. They would do that. Their temperament there. They don't have any special special qualifications, no wealth, no social position, no special education. They're not trained theologians. Not high ranking churchmen, none of them. Peter Marshall depicts these disciples appearing before an examining board, before their apostles. So they're going to be tried at the examining board, right? They're going to be Jesus close associations. You have a board of people up there. People are going to try to figure this one out, right? Peter stands there smelling like fish, uncouth and uncultured, impulsive and impetuous. You have Andrew and James and John. And they reeked of fish oil and lacked refinement. And Philip appeared very indecisive. And, of course, you can think Thomas, there he is, being cynical, Right? With his personality, Matthew was considered a traitor (laughs) to all the disciples. This guy was a tax collector. We already talked about him, right? Simon was a dangerous revolutionary. Now this is another Simon, not Peter. Simon Peter, but another one. His name that. You remember um, the zealot Simon? Wait, Matthew, tax collector, a traitor really against the Jews. And you've got this zealot here who goes out and he's ready to attack anybody against the Jews. You know, the Romans and such. These are the people that are in this band that Jesus brought together. None of them seem to really join together except those ones being fishermen and brothers and such. But they're members chosen to be in in this group. Jesus chooses these twelve. His purpose was to show That God can be glorified in using men like these, people like us, just as ordinary as us, puts us together and we serve Him. (laughs) We'd never be chosen on any board with, with that kind of thing, right? They're so diverse, too. Their personality, their biography, their life experience. You have strong personalities, and you have some personalities you don't even know at all. Uh, James became one of the first Christian martyrs. He didn't go very long at all. But he made a difference. He had a short life. Died early. Some of us don't have the same amount of time to serve the Lord that others do. We serve Him, though, with all our might in the days that we are given. James didn't live long. How about his brother, John? Interesting. Did he live long? Yeah. He lives into the 90s. I don't know how old he was, but he was probably somewhere around 90. (laughs) Somewhere in that vicinity. Because he wrote Revelation at that time. 95 A.D., many say. Something interesting there. But his brother was taken out quickly. Why did Jesus do that? What he does. All of our days are numbered before we even are born. He has the exact day when he wants to bring us to him. Good way to look at it rather than suffer and die. But, uh, you know, a lot of different ways here old age, young. Are you still serving the Lord with the days that God has given you? Is that a pretty good question? Philip, just a personal worker, he won a friend to the Lord. Nathaniel was the perfectionist, Thomas being the pessimist. Matthew, a secularist and the traitor to the Jewish cause and Simon is the very antithesis to him. Then you have James of Alphaeus and James, or the son of Alphaeus or Judas as we have seen or Levius, and you can almost name him. What's his name? <laughs> we hardly know what they even even calling. Some of these guys don't even know. You say, well, what's the deal here? Why didn't he give us a broad expanse of all of these guys? A big biography. The last three, in a sense, really are nobodies. But are they Nobodies? We don't know too much about them, but I can tell you what, they are somebody. It's like us. Nobody really knows us. Not much. What variety. What diversity. We all come from different areas of the country. We all had different backgrounds in the way that we were raised. Some of us had parents. Some of us didn't have. Maybe we came from a single parent, uh, grandmothers and you know, d- different ways that all of us came through. Uh, unbelieving parents; some had believing parents. Diverse. Jesus calls us to fight for His cause, and He calls the company to be united. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? How about the maturity? Say, oh, we're on different levels. I mean, Peter, James, and John—they got to see things that others didn't get to see. Well, why is that? What's the deal? They went up on the mountain the transfiguration. The other ones didn't get to go up there. Jesus chose them to go up there. There's a certain end of it. How about the, trans- uh, uh, the uh, Jairus' daughter? I think is what it was. I saw that. Or the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter, James, and John again. The inner three. You, know, you have four in one group, but three of them get to go up there. That's what Jesus does. I'm just glad to be in the army. I'm glad to have a uniform. You know what I mean? I don't, you know, whatever it is, hey, if I'm... It it doesn't matter. It really does I'm glad to be in the army because we all care to Him. We're equal in that sense. First, last, last, first. He just has different things that He wants to do with each one. And uh, how can we apply this? How do we wrap this up today? It's time to wrap it up. It's way time to wrap it up because it's an hour and three minutes long. (laughs) I don't always go by that, but... In another sense, they live together for that whole period. Jesus spends his time with them. They discipled. They learned together. We learn together to be disciples. We serve together. Whatever that somebody needs or something, we serve together. We do things together. We may not always be in the same company, but we're as a church, we're together. That's the way the Lord sees it, and the whole body of Christ that way. We're here to spread the message. Matthew twenty eight, nineteen and twenty. He gives that great commission. He says it to the apostles, and it continues to go on. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And, oh, I'm with you. He's still with him, even though he's not going to be there. But by the Holy Spirit, he lives in him. Always, even to the end of the age. The most important thing is that you're with him. We are with him. He called the disciples to be with him. We have an abiding with the Lord Jesus together. He gives us our strength. And we are to spread this message to the people who don't know the Lord or His Word. We are to disciple somebody. Go and make disciple. Make disciple. That Disciple is matetas, learner. That's what disciple is, learners. We just learn from the Lord, right? And so, find somebody, teach them. Find somebody. I don't care who it is, find them and teach them teach them give them CDs give them books and and we're all doing that with each other can you imagine how much we can learn as we spread things around each other that's really what happens you know CDs um, teaching materials books we loan it to each other hey have you read this man that's great or hey they they tell you what they've been reading and you go oh really because it saves some time sometimes Mm -hmm. you know to read that book I don't have time to read it but I'd love to hear about it man that's really good we're all teaching each other. Go find somebody that knows less than you do and go and then teach them. Teach them personally. Go through Scripture with them. Disciple them. Go and make disciples. We have a shared responsibility. We spread the load. It's been spread out by Jesus to these twelve. We spread it out amongst ourselves and then we spread the message. Planting the seeds out. We want to reproduce ourselves. The Lord reproduces it, but... I mean, this seed has life, right? And, and we'll have ever-widening circles. We are fruit, right? We're the continuing fruit of this service, just like the apostles. We're fruit, fruit of what God has done. Do you know we can make a far-reaching influence? We can have this and use the Master's method. It's right here. It's really simple. <laughs> Find somebody tell them this good news. They're lost. They need the Lord. It's Jesus Christ. He's the one that will change your life. You must see that you are in bad news now, but here's good news if you would repent from those things and turn to the Lord. That's basically the message, isn't it? My question I'll leave with you today. How will you carry it on to the next generation. How are you going to carry
1: it on? We must be using this method and nothing else. Let's pray.